Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps commentator, investor, analyst, whatever else. Um, <clears throat> first off, apologies, I'm recording this on Monday evening on the 5th of December. This is episode 23 of my weekly podcast. Now, this is the first weekend in uh, the time I've been doing this. And I woke up on Saturday morning and thought, oh, God, you know, I just can't be bothered to record a podcast today. Um, it just felt like it was going to be a real chore and I've never felt like that before. I normally wake up Saturday mornings um, full of beans, can't you know, looking forward to recording a podcast. So uh, it's no good forcing it. So, but I've now become overcome overcome with uh, feelings of guilt in that I've shortchanged my regulars, a number of whom have uh, complained and said they missed the episode. So let's do it um, a couple of days late. So on Monday's report, this would be November the 28th, I, um, my main feature was I, I aired my worries about Superdry, S-D-R-Y. Now this follows the Sunday Times article um, about its bank facilities, basically saying effectively that existing lenders don't want to renew the bank facilities. Now that is a big problem, Superdry is, depends on these uh, bank facilities for its seasonal um, uh, peak in um, stock intake and trading. So this is potentially an existential crisis. Now it sounds like the company might have planted the article in the press possibly because it stressed that uh, a new alternative lending facility is uh, about to be signed. Well as I say by implication that means existing lenders don't want to um, supply it because alternative lenders uh, are more expensive. This is really worrying and I think it, it's possibly the fallout from the collapse of jewels that maybe lenders, well it seems pretty obvious to me, lenders are now looking at that whole mid-market brand sector and saying do we really want any exposure to this to this sector and the same conversations will almost certainly be going on at the trade credit insurers who often have bigger exposures to these companies than the banks do. So I'm really quite worried about Superdry. Now it could all turn out to be fine, you know, they might seal uh, a deal with new lenders very soon, which is what the Sunday Times is suggesting is likely. But you know, they're cutting it fine. It's end of January, the uh, existing facilities expire <clears throat> and here we are uh, less than two months away from that expiry day. I'm nervous about this. As I say, I th in normal circumstances, I would say Superdry would have had no problem renewing these facilities. Its balance sheet actually looks OK. It's genuinely seasonal lending, which is paid off after Christmas. So banks generally like that type of lending. But, you know, the macro, I think the, the banks are also very worried about their exposure in the macro picture. So I think Superdry is too risky. Another aspect which I covered in in October 2022 uh, is that super dry there are some pretty appalling revelations in its annual reports and there was a brilliant uh, podcast I, I listened to recently from um, Nick Searle at Zeus, Zeus Capital um, he does uh, a podcast series called A Different Perspective and one of the I think it was a fund manager he interviewed recently said that his number one tip to all investors is read the annual reports because as he put it they are full of inside information key information key disclosures in those annual reports that are not rns remember they're um but the thing is nobody reads annual reports anymore we all tend to just look at the preliminary results and we're missing this treasure trove 
of uh, detail that's within the annual reports. So that's my probably my main theme for this week's podcast. We need to start downloading and looking through those annual reports. And you can skim through quite a lot of it. But if you look at Superdry's annual reports, there's a lot of really horrendous stuff going back about three years uh, about how sloppy and how poor its accounting controls are. And... Uh, you know, that could well be a fact. In fact, it's highly likely to be a factor behind the banks not wanting to renew facilities, if that's... <coughs> sorry, excuse me. If that's what has happened. So I'm nervous about Superdry. It could all turn out to be fine. All I'm saying is there's elevated risk. And as we know, very often risk turns out to be fine. But every now and again, if you get involved, as I have done in the past, in too many risky risky situations, you suddenly get hit with a, a really nasty loss. Why take the risk? I take the view with super dry. Um, it seems to be kind of trading okay, judging from the last trading update, but I don't want to take the risk of it, of it losing bank facilities because what would that ha- what would happen then if it, if it can't renew bank facilities? It might have to do some sort of desperate uh, last minute uh, deeply discounted placing. Uh, it might even go into prepack administration. That's exactly what happened with Jules. Well, it wasn't so much a prepack there, but it was not far off it. Uh, and if you remember with Jules, Next was looking at investing some money in a solvent restructuring, but decided not to, and ended up buying it out of administration for um, considerably less. And of course, it's the trade creditors and the unsecured creditors and the equity holders who get stuffed when that scenario um, happens. It's a complete wipeout for equity normally. Um, could super dry turn out to be a complete wipeout for equity? It's possible. It's possible. I would say the risk of that happening, who knows? At a guess, I would say maybe 20 to 30% risk. So I don't want to take that risk. So I'm avoiding super dry unless and until it has refinanced. I think there's also a question mark over ASOS, ticker ASC, the obviously previously multi-billion pound uh, online market cap, um, multi-billion market cap online behemoth, which um, is really now starting to look wobbly. I think they've just lost another CFO at ASOS, and I'm starting to think the unthinkable there, wondering whether ASOS could actually end up going bust. They've also got accounting problems. They've used, I think, accounting sleight of hand, really, to um, sidestep having to make a stock provision, um, which was pretty dubious, I think. I'm surprised the auditors agreed that, but they managed to avoid a big stock provision uh, using a technicality, really, uh, with the last accounts. I didn't like that at all. Um, I think I think ASOS is looking increasingly precarious too. I think these struggling mid-market brands could there could be a lot more pain to come with them. I think so. I think it's probably safest to ignore, avoid the whole sector. The retailers that are doing well are doing okay, and the value-focused retailers. I think. Now we also looked at the full year results from Cerulean C E R. Now, as you know, I've raved about this share multiple times before. It's really doing fantastically well, and the numbers there, were, there was no surprises in the in the published numbers because they've been trailed with with positive trading updates. Um, I've commented here on Monday's report that I don't see anything of concern. Lovely strong organic growth, lovely profits and cash flows. Uh, uh, Cerulean shares are not cheap. 
but I really do think it's an exceptionally good company. I did notice, I think, um, at least one of the bigger institutions is is winding down or, or, or trimming their position in the market. So you can get stock. It's not that tightly held. And you do sometimes think, well... Maybe the price is up with or even ahead of events then if, if a, a canny institution, I think it was Canaccord, who, which is usually in small caps, uh, the old Hargreave Hale, which was bought by Canaccord, and they are very, very shrewd, very experienced investment managers there. They really know what they're doing. So if they are selling down their position, maybe that means Cerulean might be fully priced now. But I still, you know, based on the information we're getting from the company, it's doing fantastically well. And it's in a real sweet spot where it's um, the telecom companies that it provides software for are, are the, the, there's a structural change going on of them moving to cloud-based software. And Cerulean spent 20-odd years specialising in that niche. So it's got the right products at the right time when this structural change is happening and it's winning bigger and bigger contracts with large recurring revenues and of course each larger contract they win globally this is not just UK um, acts as a reference site for new business so seems to be really on a roll I had a I must refer back to my interview with the CEO of Cerulean quite recently um, which was very very interesting I managed to get to the bottom of really what's driving the company's performance and it is those things I've just mentioned and I don't see any evidence that things are likely to slow down anytime soon so yes yeah, Cerulean's one of my favorite companies at the moment now Graham as always I won't speak for Graham but he covered on Monday inspiration healthcare IHC uh, as he puts it, a severe profit warning there. Um, <clears throat> then Induction Healthcare, INHC. Uh, Graham took an initial view it, uh, of it. Uh, now, funnily enough, uh, I started looking at that one again today, 5th of December. They put out another update today and it's dropped about 20%. Um, I, it's too soon for me to judge, but I, I think I might take a closer look at this induction healthcare thing. Although the cash pile seems to be coming from customer upfront payments, um, it's quite interesting. It does remote um, sort of video calling for doctors to contact patients, which looks quite interesting. I'm not quite sure how it competes with Microsoft Teams or Zoom, though. But uh, it is winning contracts with NHS. Um, trust so induction healthcare only tiny market cap 25 million i might take a closer look at that graham also looked at something called pollen street p-o-l-n i think that's another fun asset fund manager graham's focusing on those a lot at the moment because they're cyclically very cheap and he's found lots of interesting companies in that um, fund management space where obviously you buy them when um, the markets have dropped and earnings have dropped and then you just sit back and collect in nice dividends and watch them double or triple in price over the next uh, cycle. So, yeah, I think uh, there's, a, there's a good case for looking at fund managers right now and brokers. I think um, some of them look very interesting as value shares. Now, Tuesday, I had a bit of an off day, I'm afraid. This was Tuesday, 29th of November. So Graham really stepped up to the plate. He spent uh, double his normal time on it. So thanks, Graham. I really appreciate that. He looked at uh, Safe Style, the double glazing thing that put out a profit warning. Altitude, interim results. Uh, we, I think we've always felt there's something potentially interesting there. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know about Altitude. It's promised a lot and hasn't really delivered much in the past. Is the but I don't know. There's something potentially interesting I think with altitude ALT, and then you also look at record. 
uh, interim results from a currency specialist. Uh, Supreme, this is the fast-moving consumer goods business, vaping products and so on. Um, and Graham also looked at GB Group, GBG, which has really fallen a lot. Um, used to be a, more of a mid, mid-cap, really, but it's paying us what might be a fleeting visit in the small-caps world. Um, with uh, disappointing performance, seems to say. Uh, H2 started in line with expectations. Uh, VP group as well, the equipment hire, rental group, um, Graham covered as well. So absolutely superb report from Graham on Tuesday, and thank you to him for uh, for um, uh, carrying my dead weight on that uh, particular day. Now, on Wednesday, I looked at a couple of quite controversial shares. IG Design, now IGR. This is um, a potential turnaround. They make uh, uh, Christmas wrapping paper, cards, gifting products. About 50% of the business is Christmas-related. The rest of it is sort of celebrations-related throughout the year. Uh, Really, um, things went horribly wrong with this. Quite a low-margin business, and they were hit with multiple cost increases which weren't factored into their selling prices, which is a theme that lots of companies uh, are telling us at the moment, that without realising it, these businesses all had serious flaws with their business models, which is that they were not able to cope with sudden, unexpected uh, increases in raw materials and um, wages costs and so on. So we've learned quite a lot over the last year or two, I think, from some of the factors that have clobbered many, many companies. So is IG Design Group a a good turnaround? Well, the the H1 figures look fantastic. And I looked at this and thought, this looks really good. I should probably buy some of these. I've held them before because I've always, well, I've thought for about the last year that this is a fairly convincing potential turnaround. However, I dug a little deeper and I discovered that they tipped off the brokers that they were only going to achieve slightly above break-even for the full year, and that actually a lot of business had been pulled forward from H2 into H1 because the customers were ordering early because of the supply chain uh, issues that they'd experienced the prior year. So, of course, it's no good customers buying Christmas gear that turns up on the 24th of December, is there? They'll just reject the deliveries, and it'll get pushed back on to, to IGR. So, that you know, if you're making seasonal product like Christmas wrapping paper, it's worthless by the 26th of December. Whether the customer holds it or whether IGR holds it, you know, it's a big, big problem with this business model. Um <clears throat> So anyway, the interim results, when you see them in the context of the full year forecast only at break-even, it's not actually anywhere near as bullish. It was not really particularly bullish at all. Uh, But despite that, the market didn't seem to twig this and took the shares up at least 10%. I think they've risen a little bit more since. I think people need to be quite careful with this one because it also indicates that it needs to do a, a full refinancing. Now, what does that phrase mean, full refinancing? To me, that suggests they might need to raise some equity. And as we know, banks are very nervous. And it's heavily reliant on big seasonal bank lending. Um, So I think you need to be, again, a bit careful with IG Design. I think there's elevated risk with this share because of the refinancing and the fact that it's not actually suddenly become highly profitable. The the H1 numbers were were really, um, I think, um, a bit of a red herring. Now, we also looked at Strix. This is this China-based um, kettle controls business, K-E-T-L. Uh, it dropped about a third on a profit warning. I don't like this share. I'm sorry. I've never liked it. Um, 
I've listened to the Bull case on this. We had an interesting debate about it uh, on Wednesday's report. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's it's taken over an acquisition of an Australian company called Billy B I L L I. Um, Thirty-eight million cash acquisition. 10 million of which was raised from recent placing at pound fifteen. The rest is funded from a new term loan. Now, one of my concerns with Strix is that it's it's taking on too much debt, I think. It's made a number of debt fueled acquisitions. It's paying the dividends out of debt, I would say, if you look at the um, if you look at the cash flow statement. So I don't think these uh, big dividends are necessarily sustainable. And obviously the China connection makes me very nervous. I don't really want to be involved in anything that does a lot of business in China. Um, <clears throat> the profit margins are too high. Apparently this is because they've got some sort of valuable IP over cattle controls. But, you know, we know the Chinese don't give two hoots about IP. So I don't know. I've got I've got concerns about Strix. I just wouldn't touch it personally. Anyway, it's lowered um, guidance again. Um, the other thing is it doesn't pay any corporation tax. And people said, oh, that's because it's Isle of Man based. Well, you know, a supposedly highly profitable company that doesn't pay any corporation tax. Surely everybody would just domicile themselves in the Isle of Man if, if, if corporation tax is just optional. So I don't know. Look, I'm not a tax expert. But it looks a bit it looks a bit uh, peculiar to me. I don't like the balance sheet, as I say. It's, it's weak. And um I don't like the cash flow statements, um, and, and the cash flow nearly all ends up being sucked into capex, meaning leaving the the leaving the, the dividends being paid out of uh, increased debt. I just don't like it. I don't like the figures. So, if in doubt, I just st- stay away from things. So, sorry, thumbs down from me for Strix. Next on Thursday, this is the first of December. I focused on Hotel Chocolat H O T C. The reason being. This is derated very, very heavily. It's dropped by about three quarters, I think. And the reason for that is that its international operations in both a, a JV in Japan and in America have really um, almost failed. Uh, although, interestingly, it does say that the Japanese JV is still trading, but uh, a, a Hotel Chocolat withdrew any additional financial support, but it might transition to a licensing model. So they might be able to salvage something from Japan, perhaps. Um, and they've scaled things right back in the US, yet another UK retailer that didn't cut the mustard in America, the latest in a, in a long line. Now, it put out preliminary, res- pre- preliminary results for June 2022, rather late. You know, it shouldn't take uh, five months to produce um, the full year accounts. So, as I've commented, it, it suggests the accounts department operates at a, le- at a leisurely pace. Um but there were no surprises in the figures. They were in line. Um, I found the outlook comments a bit vague, but it suggested to me a mild profit warning. The balance sheet's OK, uh, although it's running very, very hot with uh, high inventories. So I think that does... And, it, it, you know, it's open about that and says we need to get inventories down. It does introduce some risk of future write-downs, I think. Um, which wouldn't surprise me, given that we know that the accounting and the risk control at Hotel Chocolat is poor. Um, I mean, just look at the amount of money they threw away on that Japan JV. I think it was 20 or 30 million or something. I mean, it's a crazy amount. Anyway, I just, I've just commented I struggle to see any value in these shares. You know, I think people are looking at them and probably looking for it to rebound, as lots of shares are rebounding at the moment. But I think maybe people are anchoring to the old valuation when it was... 
you know, um, an exciting big international rollout. It's not anymore. It's a UK-specific uh, rollout, and they've, they're focusing now on the UK. So it's not going to achieve a high rating again, I don't think. And the previous rating was, was nuts. So I just don't see value with Hotel Chocolat. Now, interestingly enough, also on Thursday afternoon, I decided to mystery shop it. Because I always comment that I don't like the product. But I haven't actually tried any for about three or four years. So um, I was in London, staying where I stay in um, in Canterbury, just about a mile north of Angel when I'm in London. Uh, <clears throat> I rent a place there with some friends and um, anyway uh, there's a Hotel Chocolat small one in Angel in Upper Street just just opposite from Angel Visington Tube Station so I mystery shopped it and I actually put that on a video on YouTube so I'll see if I can find a link to that it wasn't meant to be comedic but most of my videos start out um, sensible and become sillier as they go on but anyway bottom line is I tried out the product a hot chocolate for £4.50 which was absolutely ordinary you know it was just steamed i watched her make it it was just steamed milk with some with some hot chocolate powder so it could have been you know i couldn't tell any difference whatsoever between that and just a mug of capri's um you know hot chocolate that you make at home with hot milk and or, or even hot water and a bit of cold milk yeah, there's no difference at all in taste i found and yet they're charging photo chocolate tar- charges you four pound fifty and it didn't even cover the mug it came in a you know, one of those uh, sort of plastic, uh, paper paper plastic type cups with this enormous great nozzle of what looked like Mr Whippy ice cream on top, but it was chocolate flavoured. Uh, I thought the whole thing was really disappointing for £4.50. Yeah, just 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 not something I would go back and, and try again. And I bought four, uh, three of the little packs of chocolates where you get three packs for £12, so £4 each. They were nice enough chocolates, nothing special, uh, expensive for what they are. So, yeah, mystery shopping it I'm, has reconfirmed my view of their product, which I think is nothing special and overpriced. I think it's just fancy packaging, fancy branding. Um, nothing of substance with Hotel Chocolat, in my view, so I wouldn't touch the shares. Now, I also had a look at Creighton, CRL, which put out... Uh, H1 results, profit warning I'm afraid, very sorry for uh, friends who hold this share, a lot of my friends hold it actually, it was looking so good about a year or or 18 months ago, but um, like so many other businesses they've been smashed with uh, numerous uh, high cost inflation factors and uh, difficulty passing that on to customers, so basically profits have disappeared but it is still profitable and it says that it's expecting a better H2 uh, balance sheet, I would say, is just about OK. So I think on balance, over time, I think Creighton's should probably at least partially recover. Um, so, you know, I think if I held the stock, we never give buy, sell or hold advice. I, you know that because we're just expressing opinions and it's up to you to decide. But I think if I held it, I'd probably just tuck them away and forget about them. I think longer term it should it should recover. So maybe not to the previous highs, but um, yeah, I think it looks okay. I would say insolvency risk at Creighton seems quite modest. I don't think it's likely to go under or need to dilute, hopefully. But we don't know, do we? It's all educated guesswork. Finally, I looked at Tribal, TRB. Oh dear, what a disaster. Awful announcement. They dropped 30% on an announcement of a big contract in the Far East. That's just gone disastrously wrong. 
it's going to make a, a, this contract, it's going to make a lifetime loss of £12 million. So what on earth has gone wrong here and how could that happen? I think it wipes out most of this year's profits and Tribal has a history of erratic performance. I just do not understand how a contract of that size could go so badly wrong. So I think, for me, that just makes it uninvestable. I've never rated management there or the company, and I think this latest disaster, just for me, I'm not interested. The only thing I would say about Tribal is that software groups with a lot of recurring revenues that dominate in a niche sector, as it does seem to in further education, um, with very sticky customers, that could be attractive to a bidder. Uh, I think, and the balance sheet's quite weak as well, negative net tangible asset value, but you don't tend to need much capital at software companies. I'm personally going to avoid tribal, but on the other hand, I don't know, is a speculation on the possibility of a takeover bid maybe coming in? I can see the logic for that as well. Now, Graham looked at Peel Hunt, uh, poor H1 results, um... But again, these these type of businesses are looking very cheap at the moment. And of course, the end markets will recover in due course. And he also looked at Mortgage Advice Bureau, MAB1. I haven't read his sector. That was another profit warning there for a mortgage advice business. And that seems to have had a knock-on effect with Belvoir. I've noticed that Belvoir, which is a lettings business, but also has a mortgage um, uh, advisory business that's a significant part of the group Belvoir has dropped considerably which might I think have been read across from Mortgage Advice Bureau's profit warning now Friday's report I only covered one company I do Fridays on my own normally because um, it's normally so quiet there was hardly anything in terms of news uh, and I, I as I put in the introduction to the report I was I was laid out flat in bed um, having a, a bit of a nasty reaction to my jabs. I had my COVID and my flu jabs the day before on Thursday. Didn't think anything of it, but um, woke up feeling rough as, rough as guts on um, Friday and I was still not 100%. So I'm afraid I, I, I actually worked from bed on Friday, but I thought, well, I've got to give them something. So I just wrote a... I covered Premier Mighton's, um results. This is Gervais Williams' outfit. Uh, fund management group. No, I don't normally cover fund management. Graham covers that. But uh, they're such simple accounts. They're very easy to understand. And I thought they were very good. You know, obviously markets have dropped a lot and they've had funds outflows. Um, but the profits remained pretty robust and very, very generous dividend yield here. Nearly 10% adequate balance sheet. Balance sheet. Um, so, yeah, I like Premier Mighton. I think the shares look cheap and I think people buying... As mentioned before, the uh, cheap fund management groups at this stage in the cycle probably do well longer term if you're prepared to just tuck them away and forget about them for a couple of years. Now, on the macro factors, things I've just jotted down on my pad as the week went on, obviously we're seeing a really quite um, uh, strong recovery, uh, particularly in the major indices and the mid-caps. It's even filtering through to some decent quality small caps, I think, as well. I think there's evidence of short covering rallies. Uh, the question I ask every week, is it, a, is it another bear market rally or is this a turnaround? I don't know. I think you could argue it either way, actually. Um, the only thing I would say is that we are still getting a lot of profit warnings, a hell of a lot, actually. Um, and when they're happening, the market is not taking these in its stride. In many cases, it's really clobbering 
um, the share prices. So I think the, my main worry is that if you think, oh, yes, the market's turned and we can all be bullish again, that's a perfectly valid point of view. You know, people who follow momentum, I think, are increasingly starting to, to say that. Um, but then, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing many companies where the earnings are, 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 are really coming uh, through badly. Companies are disappointing on earnings. Wobbly outlook statements for 2023 from many companies I cover. Lots of macro uncertainty still. The UK's just gone into recession. I think, you know, European countries are as well. America seems to be a bright stop spot economically. But, you know, the energy crisis is far from being solved. Uh, inflation's probably peaked. Um, and I think, uh, you know, crazy things going on with foreign exchange. I mean, God, the sterling dollar rate has been absolutely all over the place, hasn't it? Almost a 20% move up from the recent lows. I don't know what the hell's going on. And it makes it very, very difficult to work out the, what the bigger picture actually is. But I focus primarily on the small, you know, the company specifics and fundamentals. And I, it's difficult for me to be particularly bullish on a lot of sectors where you're, you, you, you're, you're going to continue seeing profit warnings. I mean, this week alone, I've made a note of the profit warnings or poor results. Hotel Chocolat, Tribal, Palatro, Triad, uh, Creighton's, Mortgage Advice Bureau, and the, I think there were a couple of others that I mentioned before. Lots of companies are now reporting profits down on the prior year, and in many cases I think the 2023 forecasts are still way too high. So based on these factors, I'm finding it difficult to get too excited about this current rally. I don't want to get sucked in buying things that have risen a lot on what could be um, well, that's fine if they, they're putting out strong trading updates and the Outlook comments are confident and, you know, they've got sticky revenues and all this sort of thing. So in some companies' cases, I think the recoveries are justified. But in a lot of other companies' cases, we really don't know how they're trading at all. You know, Boohoo's bounced a lot from the recent lows, despite all the negative news flow. But I, as I mentioned at Mellow, you know, I don't want to just take a punt on, on Boohoo shares right now, given that we don't know how it's trading, because it hasn't told us. So, you know, they always say, don't they, oh, well, if you if you haven't heard any trading news, it must be trading in line. Well, that's <laughs> that's in theory, but in practice, uh, it does, doesn't tend to be like that. Very often, companies are too slow to tell the market that they're trading badly. Maybe they think they can make up the shortfall. I don't know. So... I, I just don't know wh where we are at the moment, so I'm just focusing on individual company specifics. Uh, overstocking of retailers. This is a continuing theme that was in the papers again, and lots lots of retailers that are reporting are saying they've got warehouses stuffed full of stock that they need to wind down, which is a combination of deliberate overstocking uh, because of supply chain problems, which has then collided with um, a tailing off of demand. Um, I think I mentioned this in last week's podcast, so let's move on. Now, China disruption. Obviously, we've seen this uh, civil unrest in China over their um, zero COVID policy, which, um, you know, this is the trouble, isn't it, with, with totalitarian dictatorships? You know, the government can embark on the wrong course and then they just resolutely stick to that course 
and there's nothing that the people can do because there's no accountability for for the politicians because they're not elected or not not in in fair elections anyway. So, um, <coughs> and a couple of companies have mentioned that disruption in China is causing them renewed problems. Strix men- mentioned that K E T L. But as Graham said, I think in today's report, you have to ask. You know, is that just a cover for the fact that demand is reducing because of economies going into recession uh, all over the place? So, but I think we've got to keep an eye on China disruption. Uh, it sounds like we're not completely out of the woods there with supply chain issues from China. Um, hang on. So I think that's pretty much it. So overall, then, in terms of what I'm seeing in the markets generally at the moment, a greatly improved sentiment, of course, and it does feel like we're over the worst in terms of, uh, obviously, big recoveries in many indices and many shares. It does feel like buyers are starting to poke their noses above the parapet for smaller caps, um, but a lot of smaller caps still in the doldrums. And, of course, a lot of smaller caps are delivering lousy results and poor outlook statements and profit warnings. So, and I don't see any evidence yet that the market is looking through those sorts of negative announcements. It, it, it is triggering uh, sharp sell-offs in, in shares that report disappointing news. So do I want to chase shares up on general momentum and then get clobbered by a profit warning? In a word, No. So I'm still a little bit, um, well, I'm still concerned generally. Uh, Yes, the markets are forward looking. But um, again, I think certainly for smaller caps, I think there's um, still a considerable amount of pain with many sectors yet to come with the recession uh, taking hold, it seems. Um, but we'll see. Who knows? All right, I'll leave it there. Thanks for listening, and apologies again for it being uh, a couple of days late. I, but it'd be, it's, it, I'm glad I've recorded this, so at least we haven't got a break in the in the sequence. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, yes, all the best. Bye, or rather, bye.